0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany, two different little cities, at the Mount of Olives. Okay, so geographically, let's make sure that we have this um, in our minds. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem for the third time in his ministry, okay, so the third time he's coming in Jerusalem, there is a heightened expectation, and that's an understatement. Everybody knows Jesus is coming. Everybody assumes something slightly different, but that if Jesus comes back into Jerusalem, heads are going to roll. Now, they're assuming that for justifiable reasons, Because as we studied in the Gospel of John just a few weeks ago, the first time Jesus came into Jerusalem, he walked into the temple, made a whip, started moving out the money changers, moving the animals. I mean, he came in and cleansed the whole temple. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, it's time to pay attention. He's coming back. Now, he is not quite there yet. He's about two miles east of Jerusalem. He's in a little town called Bethany. He's probably staying at the house of Lazarus. He seems to be at that home a lot. In between Bethany and Jerusalem, that two miles, there's the Mount of Olives. Okay, Pretty important mountain biblically. Just in the next week, Jesus will do several things on the top of this mountain. He will sit up on the mountain and he will weep for the city of Jerusalem, for their sin for their lack of honoring God, for their just complete disillusionment. He will weep for Jerusalem. He will also sit on that mountain and give his final sermon. We call it the Olivet Discourse. It's his sermon on the end of time. Hey, I'm gonna go, but this is not the final thing. I'm gonna come back. That'll be the final thing. Here's some things that'll probably happen before I do that. He'll give his Olivet Discourse. Beautiful, beautiful sermon. Um, He will go to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night, and he will pray. This unbelievable prayer that finishes with, Not my will, Father, but yours be done. If there's any way you can take this cup from me, do it. But if the cross is where I've got to go, I'll go. So that happens on the Mount of Olives. And then it'll be about 55 days from now, but it's also on the Mount of Olives that Jesus will go, speak the Great Commission over his disciples, and then ascend into heaven. Pretty important little 2,000 foot hill, the Mount of Olives. It separates Bethany from Jerusalem. They are coming into Bethany. It's Jesus, it's his disciples, it's probably already a decent gathering of people, even if they're not following Jesus. It's the Passover week in Jerusalem, so there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pilgrims who are coming into Jerusalem at this point to celebrate the Passover. So there's a bunch of people traveling this road, Jesus is on it, he's pretty well known at this point. I think there's a bunch of people, let's just have that in our minds. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. It's probably Bethany, could be Bethpage. Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. That's a young male donkey. You'll find him cold there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, tell them the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. I beg someone to try this. I, just, I want someone to do this. I want someone today to walk into their neighbor's garage, get their lawnmower, and just start pushing it back towards your house. And when they come out yelling at you, go, it's okay, God needs it. Like, I just want you to, I want you to try that just to see if it would work. Because it appears that it works here. As, as we keep reading, say that the Lord needs it. They went, verse 4, they found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked them, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. That's amazing. They stole an animal. That's amazing to me. And they said, it's okay, God needs it. I, 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 think this is, I think this is awesome, but let's see the sovereignty in this. Jesus had yet to enter the town, and he goes, you're going to walk in, you're going to find this particular animal tied, just like I'm telling you, these people are going to try and stop you, you're going to tell them this, and they're going to let you go. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. This is not by happenstance. This is completely under the sovereign will of God. Verse 7, when they brought the colt to Jesus, they did not have a saddle, so they took off their cloaks, threw it over, and Jesus hopped up on the donkey and rode it. That's a weird picture to me. Jesus has been walking for miles. I don't think he rolled his ankle. I don't think he needed to hop up on this colt. It's a weird picture when you start to think about it. But the reason for it is prophetic. Hundreds of years earlier, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet said this is exactly how the Messiah would enter in. This is exactly how the king would come. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. He's coming gentle and riding on a donkey. Let's even get more specific. On a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Hundreds of years before this event happened, that's why God knew it was going to happen. That's why the donkey's tied there. That's why all this is transpiring. That's why this image, which seems weird to me, is happening. Gentle and riding on a donkey, that is how the king will come. Now, what the people wanted was a warrior king. Warrior kings come on big old horses with swords or chariots, armor. That's how warriors ride into town. That's not how Jesus is coming. That's not how this is happening. That's not how it's going to go down. Warriors come on horses, suffering servants, gentle kings, those who know in five days they will give their life for all mankind. They come on a donkey, gentle and riding on a donkey. But let's not miss this. The people expected a king. They expected their conquering king to come into Jerusalem, to kick out the Romans. He chose a donkey. They're probably like, oh, that's subtle. Okay, let's not tip them off too early. We get it. So they're still excited at what is happening here. But their peaceful king will ultimately not do what many of the people there were hoping he would do. Verses 8 through 10. Many people. No one knows how many for sure, but it's a two-mile journey from Bethany to Jerusalem, to the Eastern Gate. I think the whole path was lined with people. I think there were tens of thousands of people, if not more, who lined a dirt road up and over the Mount of Olives, straight into the gates of Jerusalem. Many people came and they spread their cloaks on the road. They didn't want... Jesus to even have to touch the dirt. They didn't have cloaks. Others spread branches that they'd cut from the fields, the palm branches. That's where we get Palm Sunday from. Those who went ahead and those who followed that's that's why i see this wall this processional like you, you it's a parade you, you're cheering and then as jesus passes those who had just seen him pass come and they start to, to to follow along this this massive massive amount of people moving towards jerusalem those who were ahead and those who followed From behind, they shouted out. They worshiped. They said, Hosanna, which means save us. Jesus saves. Hosanna. They shouted, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. For the astute Jew in the gathering, they would have remembered something. They would have remembered 2 Kings chapter 9. Now, this would have been a big one because in 2 Kings chapter 9, a man named Jehu became king of Israel, though there was a sitting king. Usually, a king had to die for another king to be appointed. But hundreds of years earlier, a guy named Jehu was appointed by Elisha. He's the man of God, so the the God was in this. Elisha appointed Jehu and his military commanders made sure that he was placed into the office of king. And Jehu entered into Jerusalem years or, or hundreds of years earlier in a very similar way. Look at 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13. They hurried and they took their cloaks off and they spread them under him on their bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Jehu is king. Several hundred years before, a king was coronated in this exact same way. A king was coronated by his military officials in this exact same way. So the astute Bible scholar in the group would have gone, Oh, I've seen this before. Military king coming in, Jehu did it. We'll throw our coats. We'll throw our coats on the ground through the palm branch because we are gonna see history repeat itself. But this king, this king is gonna be different. We've heard about what this Jesus can do. We've heard about his power. We've heard about the miraculous. We've heard about everything that he does. We've heard about how wise he is. This king's going to be the real deal, so we're going to do it just the way we did with Jehu. We're going to let him know that we've got his back. It would have been crazy loud. The excitement would have been unquenchable. This is it. This is our king. This is the one the Bible told us about. Look, Zachariah and I, it's happening. This is it. We, oh, I can't believe I'm so lucky to have seen this on this day, to get to be been a part of this procession. Oh, let's stay close. Let's, let's, let's follow him in. Let's see what he does. Every time he goes in Jerusalem, heads roll. This is it. They're, they're, this is it. It's funny because I think Jesus' closest disciples, I think they were right there with the pageant wave thank you everybody, thank you, I'm John, good friends, I, I think, I think they were right there, which is foolish, because three times now, Jesus has told them specifically, I'm going there to die, three times, now three times they look at him and go, no, 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 you can't die, no, we need you to lead us. But three times he said, I'm not going to be king. I'm going there to die. Three times they've been told this. He'll say it one more time in the last week of his life, just for a final reminder. But I think even Jesus' closest friends got caught up in this excitement. I, I think they got caught up in this worship. And it was worship. It, it wasn't just fanfare. It was worship. What they were saying is taken straight from the book of Psalms, the book of worship. It's taken straight from Psalms 118, verses 25 and 26. This is what they're shouting. They're shouting scripture. They're shouting worship over him. They're saying Lord, save us. Oh, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? They're singing hymns. They're shouting. They're worshiping. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. They were worshiping their king, and it was awesome. Beautiful, awesome. It was good, can you feel the electricity? I mean, are you there? Are you following this man on this donkey into a town that's already filled with worshipers? Can you imagine the excitement as they crest the hill, as they get closer and closer and closer, as the gates open up? I mean, it would have been intoxicating. And then he walks through the gate. He goes straight to the temple. People are shoving old ladies out of the way to get in there and see what he's going to do next. I I cannot imagine what is happening. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem. Yeah, buddy. He went to the temple. Here it comes. He looked around at everything because he's going to do something awesome. And then he looked at his watch and said, it's late. Hmm. Can't, can't throw out the romans after 5:30 we better better turn around and go back to bethany with the 12 tens of thousands of people go what it's too late We can find you a bed here if you're tired. Like, do what you're going to do. do you, you have thousands of followers. This is your time. Kick them out. He took his 12. And he walked two miles back over the palm branches and the coats. People were like, get, get me my coat back. You let me down. On that day. Those people, they were worshiping their faces off. But what they were worshiping was an expectation. They were worshiping an action, a blessing, a hope. They were not worshiping God. And we can look at that and we can associate to that. And I think for me, I can even understand that. But then what do we do with that? What do we do with this passage? Well, I think we need to ask ourselves some questions in light of this. Because we're sitting now 2,000 years on the other side of the cross. We know why Jesus turned around and left. He wasn't coming to be a conquering king. He wasn't coming for a throne here on this earth. His throne was in heaven after he had laid down his life for the sins of the world and would be risen to new life in heaven. We know that the story ends great. Great. We know that the story ends the way it was supposed to. But for those tens of thousands, they were heartbroken, and they were crushed, and they were disappointed because their expectation was not met. And many of them, five days later, will no longer be yelling, Hosanna, they will be yelling, crucify him. They will kill him because they did not get what they wanted from him. Now, we would never do that. I'm not so sure. Because how often is my worship directed at a blessing and not the blesser? Let me explain. Oh God, you are my God. Humbly I thank you. I come before you and I worship you because you are worthy of all praise. Lord, pour out your blessing upon us. Lord, come down and fill my heart and give me hope and give me joy. And and I I worship God, but I worship God in hopes that I will receive something. Hopes that I will receive the blessing, hopes I'll receive the peace, hopes that I'll receive healing, hopes I will receive whatever. I can never know for sure if my worship is truly. Pure and worshiping just God because he's God until when I ask for something and I don't get it until I expect something and my expectation is left unmet because I've had moments in my life very real, very terrifying moments very tragic moments where I didn't feel like worshiping God and if I were to be honest with you The reason that I didn't feel like worshiping him was because I felt like he let me down. You should have had my back. I'll worship you when it's good. I'll worship you when you have my back. I don't know that I will be able to worship you when you let me down. That is not an indictment against God because God is God and he ultimately works for the good of those who love him and who are a part of his purpose. He clearly had a purpose here, but a lot of people were let down and chose to not worship him any longer. Do you worship God because he is God and he is worthy of all praise and honor and glory, regardless of what he gives to you, regardless of what he does for you, regardless of what he may or may not do to help you? Do you worship God just because he is God? That's the question that I think you need to ask yourself. Because I think for a lot of us, we have trouble worshiping when the blessing doesn't come. We have trouble worshiping when, metaphorically, Jesus walks into the temple and we think he's going to do this and he turns around and goes home. We have trouble worshiping him when he does that. I think a lot of us do. But I think a lot of us have faulty expectations of what God truly is wanting to do in our life. Here's just a very simple example. I think a lot of us believe that because God offers abundant, full life, that that means that God is here to make us happy. Biblically, um, God is here to make us holy. And a lot of times, the refinement to become holy is not a fun or gentle one. But do we worship God anyway when what he is doing is making us holy and what we want him to do is make us happy? Do we worship God when we're not happy? Um, Jesus said it this way, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. So we want God to save our lives. We worship our Savior. We do that. But it's interesting what our Savior says is that if you want to save your life, you must lose it. You must die to yourself. Do we understand that expectation that we don't get both and? We don't get to be our own God. We don't get to be our own king. We don't get to be our own boss. We don't get to guide our own life. We don't get to do that. If we want to save our lives, we have to lose our lives. That's the expectation that God has. I don't know that we have that same expectation. And then when he calls us to die to ourselves and to lose some of that control, we're like, I don't know that I really want to worship a God like that. God says that his kingdom is backwards. He says that if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, then you have to be the servant of all. Do we understand that that is his expectation? Because I don't think many of us are sitting here going, you know, God, what I really want you to do is come make me the servant of all. That's really. I want you to come, I want you to move, and I want your grace to make me the servant of all. I don't know that we have that expectation. I think a lot of us are like, you know what? <clears throat> God, I, I want you to place me in a position of some power. <laughs> like, not, the, not the number one seat, that's you, that's you. Give me like two or three. Give me two or three position, that's good. I need, I, I'll take that. We have that expectation, and then Jesus comes and says, mm, okay, two or three is like the, the, the second best servant of all. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't want that. I don't want that. I wanted the real two seat. Do we worship God because he's God or do we worship God because of what he gives us? We have 26 minutes left. Yeah, 26 minutes. I want to spend that time wrestling with this question. And only you can answer it. And for some of you, you're sitting here today and you are good. Life is good good it's great it is easy for you to say i worship god and i give him all i've got because he is god that's awesome but in reality it's just because you're good some of you need to have your true worship tested by having some not good do you worship him when it's not good you worship him when you feel let down but some of you are like that's me now I feel let down. I feel hurt. I feel abandoned. I feel like he did not hold up his end of the deal. Some of you are there, and so the question becomes very real. Will you still worship him? Will you worship him in spite of the fact that he did not give you what you expected to get? Will you worship him because he's God and because he's good and because he has a plan? And maybe we can't see it, but it's clearly sovereign. There was a donkey just sitting there like he said it was going to be. This is God's sovereign plan. It wasn't what they wanted, but it was clearly what they needed. Do you trust that even in your seasons of hurt and even in your seasons of fear and even in your seasons of less, even in your seasons of one, do you trust that God is still good, that he still has you, and will you worship him in those seasons? That's the question. So as our band comes back up here, I want to give us this time to respond, just like we do every week. But the response is to a very specific question. Will you worship God just because he's God? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then you take these moments and you worship him with everything you've got. There's plenty of room today. (laughs) There's plenty of room. So whether you stand or whether you sit or whether you come up front or whether you kneel or whatever you do, let this be your heart's response to God. And if your heart's response to God is worship, awesome. If your heart's response to God is, I feel like you let me down, then he's big enough to walk through that with you. He's big enough to give you grace and more faith to see that he is still good, that God is in control and that Jesus is enough for whatever you're walking through. And if you want someone to walk through that with you, then our pastors and some of our prayer team will be up here. You can come forward. But just really, really, for the next few moments, just respond. Just respond to God with your heart's felt response. If it's worship, it's worship. If it's fear, if it's doubt, it's that. But respond and let God work in and through you. Because the heart of worship understands that God is worthy of our praise no matter what. The heart of worship understands that God is worthy of our praise no matter what. So Father, by your Holy Spirit, Allow our hearts to respond to you. Allow us to praise you because you're God, because you are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. May that be our true desire. And for those where it is not, God, give us grace and faith to overcome the obstacles, to overcome the disappointment, and to see that even in the midst of these, you are still God, you are still good, and you are still worthy of our praise. Allow us to surrender everything that we have to you in perfect worship. God, come and move in our midst. Surround us with your love and your presence. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Summit, let's stand and respond. But really more important than your posture is that you respond. Let's respond to the God who is worthy of all praise and glory.